Welcome to the new automation mindset where AI automation and integration come together. Successful automation is so much more than technology, it's a mindset. On this podcast, we're here to learn about this mindset from innovative leaders who actually practice it every single day. From Fortune 500 companies to the boldest startups, these leaders have reduced cost, crafted experience, and fueled growth with automation. They have transformed their companies and their careers. I'm your host, Marcus Zern, and as Chief Strategy Officer and part of the founding executive team at Workado, it is my mission to find these top innovators in AI, automation, and integration and share their journeys with all of you. You may notice that this show matches the title of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling book, The New Automation Mindset by Ao Workado CEO, Vijay Tella. You'll hear references to the key ideas of this book, the growth, process, and scale mindsets throughout the show. If you'd like to explore them further, be sure to check out the book in hard copy or on Kindle. All right, Kim, uh, welcome to uh, the new Automation Mindset uh, podcast. Uh, really, really excited to have you on, um, especially because you're a, a longtime uh, Workado user. I think spanning three different uh, companies, I think Elasticsearch first, and then Navan, and now uh, Workiva. Um, so, and then obviously like a long history of uh, being CIO, uh, I think with Wageworks, yeah, I think you were in the very early stages of when SaaS came uh, to be uh, and, and, you know, doing stuff with that. Uh, also, like, uh, you know, a member of the, the Silicon Valley CIO crew here, uh, exactly. <laughs> I think with all, with all your other colleagues. So, so, uh, so we have to stick together, Marcus. That's <laughs> so right. We have to stick that's together. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Elasticsearch, Navan, and uh, and and also Workiva. You know, these are all high growth companies, of course. But I think the situation there, also in the in the context of Workado, was somewhat different, right? I think they all have their different uh, uh, like facets of of what you did there and what integration, what automation meant there. Maybe you can talk us a little bit through that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the the things I love about integration and automation is I think regardless of the maturity, the size, um, where the company is in their, in their life cycle, as far as a transformation or technology stack is concerned, um, there's always more opportunity for automation. Um, and so to your point, um, you know, the company's elastic, uh, Trip Actions now Navan and Workiva, three very different organizations, um, all SaaS um, and all at very different points in their their levels of maturity. Um, and I was, uh, you know, we brought in Workado at the time uh, at Elastic to really focus on. Uh, we had obviously integrations. Uh, it was really to focus on um, how do we uh, build and scale um, our kind of framework and how do we mature our framework, uh, from point, point to point integrations, um, at, uh, trip actions, we were in a high growth, um, kind of an environment. And so we were looking to build an architecture an integration architecture, uh, using a platform that was going to allow us to be very agile and flexible, 
um, knowing that we we would be pivoting uh, business objectives, business focus areas, strategic objectives very quickly. And we wanted to have an underlying foundation that would allow us to do that very fast to meet the business priorities. Um, and then at Workiva, one of the things we're looking at is um, how do we look at our, uh, we have a, a, a pretty significant technology landscape that that has some integrations, um, but most of those have been point-to-point integrations, as well as um, it gives us an opportunity to look at where we can continue to automate um, and really allow us to scale the organization um, and, and find hours saved um, from different areas of the business. And, and, and really the lens with which we're doing that is through, um, stepping back and looking at our, what I'm calling our business architecture, um, which is a kind of a new concept. It's, it's a little, it's a layer above the technical architecture. And it's, as we start to, um, you know, look at a, a company that has been around a little bit more mature, uh, some of their business processes are more mature, um, and they're public, um, how can we look at an end-to-end business process um, and understand where those that where those business processes um, are ripe for some sort of technology automation? Um, because either the work that's being done is manual, um, or we find that the work that's being done is redundant in multiple silos um, because the the processes touch multiple silos. And so we're starting with a business architecture framework, which then will drive our technology framework, which is those applications that are of service to that business process. And then really looking at the underlying data and the integration that is binding all of those activities together um, and where there is opportunity for us to um, identify areas that are manual or maybe they aren't being done um, as efficiently using another automation um, that we would be able to go in and kind of re-automate and transform some of that process uh, using a, an automation platform. So very exciting, uh, three different sort of scenarios with which we are applying uh, kind of an automation uh, framework and concept around. But, um, you know, the thing that I like about uh, data and integration is it, it is sort of the the blood that that feeds the body, right? And if you think about how that how we're how we're doing that across the organization, um, really really understanding um, where we can streamline and make make those processes more efficient with automation. I think will give 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 the users of uh, within those processes um, allow them to focus on higher value things, but also streamline and speed up some of the delivery around some of those processes as well. So it's an exciting exciting uh, area uh, to talk about. Very exciting indeed. You know what the the way you talk about Workiva, and I think Workiva is the most mature of of the three companies you used Workado in, right? I believe Workado is uh, Workiva going public like what two thousand fifteen or so. So correct, being public yeah, for it's a probably years. the most mature as far as uh, length of time since uh, going public, as well as size. Um, mm-hmm. Elastic was also public, and then obviously Trip Actions was a, a private company. Um, you know, mm-hmm. private to. Mm-hmm looking to go public. So three different so, kind of so maturity what, levels. Yeah. Yeah. No, what it, what it reminds me of, there's a, an article that I just saw a brand new article, I think uh, beginning of the week, uh, beginning of the month, it came out, uh, uh, C- CIO magazine, uh, uh-huh. talks about the new role of the CIO. And I think they, they use this expression, uh, I think even the title of the, uh, of the whole article, it says like the CIO, the new orchestrator in chief. And actually makes goes goes pretty far. Basically says like, look, uh, 
among all the executives in a company, effectively, there's there's just two that that have a broad view across the whole enterprise. That's the CEO, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But then the second one is the CIO, probably in a yep. more execution-oriented mindset, right? Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, being like really, really important on how all the operations in a company work and how how everything is is orchestrated. I don't know. Does that does that resonate with you? I'm just curious because you know you've yeah. written about the the new role of the CIO. How do you think about this? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I definitely would would agree. I think that, you know, I've been um, lucky enough to be doing this for many years. And I think the thing that has always attracted me to the role is um, is the ability to partner across the business um, and to really um, jump in and understand the business, regardless of industry I've worked in with an eye to partnering with the business and understanding where can we derive more value um, for the business, either, you know, through growth and revenue or through, um, you know, efficiencies. The CIO uh, or the technical leader is typically uniquely positioned to be able to do that because they have the most cross-functional view of the organization because their remit is to partner with all areas of the organization and to kind of streamline, to optimize technology investment, to implement and enhance um, functionality for the business. And so many times, you know, I'll be talking to, you know, sales and I'll be talking to our customer success organization, both leaders in in the organization, and they have similar goals. And how can we begin to bring bring about kind of this cross-functional focus um, to drive ba- value to the organization? And so um, I think the technology leader, the CIO, the chief digital officer, the chief transformation officer, whatever, orchestration officer, as you said, um, is uniquely positioned to begin to understand sort of how the entire business operates as well as how the entire business um, could potentially operate differently through technology, through AI, through automation, through these things. And so it's one of the things I've always particularly liked. Um, I, it's never boring, I will tell you that. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes it's challenging because there's multiple priorities in the organization um, and each each functional leader has, you know, three to five priorities. And so ultimately that technology leader has you know, 30 priorities. And so how do we begin to talk about what's really going to drive business value? Where are we going to get the most value out of our investment as we look cross-functionally? And are there areas for us to streamline and op- optimize so that we can we can really drive that revenue with, or, you know, uh, increase efficiencies? Um, and so it is something that I have felt pretty passionate about for a long time is sort of moving out of the um, traditional role of you know, IT leader and into one that really allows me to kind of reshape what this function should look like for a modern technology company um, focused on business value, business partnering, business engagement to drive revenue and value. No, this is super exciting. So I, I, I don't, I don't know if you know, but so one of the reasons I actually joined Workado as part of the founding team was I 
In my past, my first job out of college was at uh, a strategy consulting firm. And back then, this is mid-90s, uh, I did uh, yeah. BPR, Business Process oh, yeah. Redesign. Oh, so on the, nice. <laughs> on the functional side more, we kind of modeled these processes. We would come back. And then obviously, you know, we had a like three, four months uh, project. We would move on to the next client. And then, you know, in retrospect, I don't even know why, but... Uh, you know, I would go back like a year later, year and a half yeah. later to see what actually happened. And, and, and you might know where the story goes. It was yeah. it was very, very frustrating. I mean, it was yeah. uh, it was just almost like to the point where like, you know, why did we work like nights and weekends and mm -hmm. so on if this is what we got? So that that intersection of IT and the business and getting this right um, was one of the reasons why I thought Workado was so important, because, you know, kind, kind of simplifying the language and how you describe these automations and making them accessible to people more on the business side who are not super technical. I Absolutely. felt that was almost a foundation of that. Yeah. Um, I think we've come a long way. I mean, I definitely see it here in, in Silicon Valley, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm just curious how you look at it. I mean, I, I, I would love to hear from you kind of, uh, you know, from your everyday life with this new, uh, perspective or kind of trying to be that new age uh, CIO, if you want, you know, some people, people call it the business technology leader, right? Uh, how does that look like? What are, what are maybe some successes that you achieved? What are maybe also some frustrations that you still have and wh what still needs to happen? Yeah, it's interesting. I um I also started my career doing BPR. So that's, that's where I got the technology bug because I realized that every BPR process project we were on, there was always a, some sort of a technology recommendation at the end. And I thought, you know, the one thing that I see consistent here is this technology thing, regardless of what business process we're talking about. Um, and so that's where sort of the, the seed got planted. Um, but, you know, some of the, some of the challenges I think, you know, in this concept of sort of reshaping, rethinking about what the, what the CIO looks like today, then, and then maybe it did 10 to 15 years ago. I think the, the, the number one thing is the, the lens with which you look at your role within the organization. And what I mean by that is I think there are, you know, traditionally the role has been viewed as more of a, um, we, you know, we're going to cut costs. We're going to standardize things. We're going to make sure we've got things secure. We, we've got a, a policy in place. We're doing it this way. Um, and I think, you know, technology has transformed business. It's also allowed us to transform the way that we, we, which we operate with the business. And so I think if I think back to the days of, you know, ERP and on-prem and, and that whole thing, there was a definite um, delineation between the business and the technology teams, right? It was, you know, you have the, the large ERP projects, you have your functional consultants, and then you pass it off to the technical people, and then they go and they do the technical work and the development, and they come back three months later, and they give it to the business, and they say, test it, does it look okay? So the iteration cycle was much longer. The communication and collaboration gap between the business and the technology teams was much wider. And I think we were, you know, we saw with SaaS this advent of, you know, business and technology Cl moving closer together. 
And I think you started seeing a lot of business people going out and buying, you know, there was the age of shadow IT where they could go out and they could get their, you know, their whatever it was that they needed and they could spin it up. And then the CIO was upset because they had shadow IT and, you know, that was this constant tension. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, if we all step back and we think about, you know, the way that our roles have changed as a result of technology, the concept of, uh, a, a technology organization focused only on technology and a business organization focused only on, on business is a limiting view. And I think because the technology has has come to a point is that um, the CIO of today or the chief digital officer is uniquely positioned to understand enough about technology that if they if they have a, a, a real passion for the business change and the business process, it actually isn't an IT function. It's a business function. And it's a business function that is enabled and transforming that business through technology. Now, typically, the avenue with which it gets introduced into organizations has historically been the the CIO organization. But I think what you're seeing with the rise of this business technology nomenclature and business systems is that these are technologists that have an eye to how can we transform business process. We're not operators. I don't want to be an AP operator. I don't want to be an FP&A person, but I understand the business process enough and I can apply technology to it to derive immense business value within that process much more than I ever did before. And the key thing that's going to drive that business value is how do we automate those business processes, whether it's within an application or between applications. And there's a huge opportunity. You know, we have SaaS that's come out and it has allowed the business to kind of, you know, they're they're purpose built, fit for fit for purpose solutions. But there's a there's been a gap between some of those solutions. And I think where you where you fit in that gap is that automation space um, that is ripe for a lot of efficiency to be gained, um, which I think, you know, Workato obviously is uniquely positioned to kind of fit in that space. But I think, you know, the the concept and you, you ask, like, how, how has it been? What are some lessons learned? I think the first thing is understanding what the business objectives are as a as a new uh you know CIO or a new technology leader in an organization and spending time sitting in the business seat um and being pragmatic about how you view things and realizing that the old way of thinking about the function really needs to change and it has to be much more evolved and flexible and pragmatic to ensure that it's enabling the business. That's not to say we're not secure and we don't think about standards and those kind of things, but I think the technology that we use now has evolved to a point where we can have security and we can have standards and we can have automation, but we can also be business enablers. So it's, it's, it's been an exciting few years. So. Yeah. Now let, let 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 me probe more a little bit into this. So the the one interesting because you talked about SaaS and you talked about the advent of SaaS. You know, there's uh, someone who said that there's somewhat of a paradox right now, uh, which says like, look, we have probably never had more business systems than we have right now, right? Uh, but at the same time, it feels that maybe we're 
we're more disconnected across the uh, organization than we were ever yeah. before, which kind of sounds weird, right? Uh, so we have all that technology, but it seems to um, to point to the fact that these gaps between all the different solutions, you know, where, where then Workado is somewhat the glue and so on, it really is a critical thing. I mean, are you experiencing this? Is that is that coming out like Elastic and Navan and, and Workiva and so on? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think you're hearing we've got data silos and we have systems that don't talk to each other. We have a, a lot of, a, a, you know, a lot of systems that don't talk to each other. And so, as I said earlier, if you think about, you know, you know, data, you know, being passed between systems or they're sit it's sitting in silos, right? The, the value you're getting uh, from a team using this system and the team using this system is pretty low, right? I mean, I think where you really start getting a lot of value is when you look at the end-to-end -end process of customer onboarding or customer offboarding or employee onboarding or employee offboarding or the renewal process or the churn process or the upsell process. And you start talking about your business processes. And then you realize, wow, in a business process, I might have three or four different systems that are impacted. And how are those systems being uh, communicating with one another? How is an activity that's happening in this system triggering an event in another system? How is data that's being input here maybe being transformed, reworked, et cetera, and being inserted in another system or multiple systems, right? And so you start having a like a like the 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 x exponential growth if you start stepping back and you start thinking about what's our business architecture and what's our application architecture and where do i have these gaps where i'm not getting the most out of maybe two applications cuz they are silos um or i've got five different solutions that do um you know are all part of a business process, but they don't talk to each other because they're and you know, five different teams are touching them. And so a lot of the growth of SaaS, because it's been business driven, you typically don't have business functions talking to each other. So they've, we have these silos now that now CIOs are like, okay, you know, you gotta, we gotta save some money. We need to consolidate systems, right? That's what's top of mind for everybody, right? I, I have all these systems I need to consolidate. Um, and, and a lot of that is driven from how the SaaS environment has evolved in an organization. And sure, we may have opportunities for consolidation, but I also think there's a huge opportunity to not just consolidate, but integrate and automate how all of this works together, right? And I think um, that's where you really get a lot of, um, you know, of movement when you start looking at these untapped opportunities to automate, you know, something between two systems or think about something end to end. And because each function is in their silo, they're not thinking about it cross-functionally. And so a team of individuals can come in and start talking and having these discussions cross-functionally and say, wow, these are some opportunities that we have let's think about integrating them here, or let's think about a process that's going to take the information here and spawn it out to four different processes. Um, because now maybe it's JIRA tickets, or maybe it's a help desk ticket or a case that goes and something happens. Let's just automate that. So I think because of the proliferation of SaaS, there's even a greater opportunity to have this sort of business architecture, tech architecture, and then an integration architecture sort of framework and discussion at, at companies right now.
Tell me a little bit. So one one other experience that I have made, and this always surprised me because maybe yeah. I'm wired the wrong way. You know, I studied electrical engineering. Maybe systems thinking is just like what I studied. But, you know, my experience has been that in terms of thinking of this end-to-end business process and so on, uh, most people are not that good at that. It's just not natural to them somehow. Is that is that something that you come So I wonder, interestingly I, I enough, on both sides... Right, you know, there's on uh, there's yeah. some IT people that feel they feel very comfortable. Like I move data from here to there, from that database to that database. That that's everybody understands. But an end-to-end process that goes about multiple system that's already a little challenging. And on the business side, somehow they people know they can tell you what they're doing, but if they if ask them to draw this down as a process, I, I I've I've uh, you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of people struggle actually with this stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think I mean I think it's it's definitely a muscle that you need to to exercise and flex. You know, it's not something that you naturally uh, come around to. I think, you know, part of it is you start, you know, and I've I've been in organizations where they're like, we're going to document the entire customer life cycle, right? Which is like boiling the ocean, right? It's just overwhelming for a lot of people. And so, what I try and do is focus on a very small uh, process first and begin to look at that and get people comfortable with that. And maybe it's employee onboarding and even that's big, right? You know, um, but, but start with a small process and get the right individuals together. Additionally, it, an organization needs to make an investment in this kind of capability, right? Because if you, if you start talking to the business in the operation roles, you know, they've got their day jobs, right? So, you know, they can't be going around and doing sessions and, you know, doing these cross-functional discussions. And so I think the, 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 the CIO and the technical organizations are uniquely positioned because they're already working cross-functionally and they're already working across different teams of people and they're working on, um, integrations and, and data and these things that sort of power some of the some of the efficiencies and, and some of the automations that we're talking about so they're comfortable with it. Um, I think you know building that skill set for them to have those discussions is you know I would recommend starting small. Um, I'd also recommend you know seeding that organization with someone that's pretty comfortable with this so that they can then build that capability within within your team. Um, and, you know, someone that understands business process, you know, combined with maybe a, a data and integration engineer or architect can be a powerful force going out and kind of starting this momentum in an organization. And you'll see very rapid, like quick wins, right? I mean, the beauty of this is these aren't month long, two month long projects. They're quick wins, right? It's get in there, talk about what you need rev it, iterate, see the success. And you have a couple of quick wins and then people want to participate from the business and they get excited in the technology organization. Like, wow, this was fast. We did this fast. The business loved it. Here we are. Right. And so I think it gains its, it gains momentum on its own. Um, mm. if you kind of seed seed the team correctly. Makes no, makes total sense. Now, if we're thinking about trip actions, Navon, right? So you mm-hmm. were there, I think it was middle of COVID. 
Obviously, it's right like you know, travel. Yeah, right towards the tail end of COVID, which was an interesting time to join a travel company, I will admit. <laughs> That's right. And so I think maybe what this all teaches us that in a lot of uh, these processes, agility actually matter, matters, right? That you be able to uh, tweak them and adjust them and so on. Is that is that kind of like what, because it seems like at, you know, if you feel like at Workiva, you're trying to scale and, you know, professionalize and kind of, you know, basically streamline processes, maybe at Elasticsearch, because you were there like right about when the IPO happened, it was just basically laying the groundwork. Um, maybe Trip Actions Navan was almost like about, you know, being able to adjust if you, if you have to. Is that, does that, is it, yeah, does I mean, that describe I think, a little? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, uh, you know, if you get your arms around your integrations and your automation layer between your apps, it, it affords you a great amount of flexibility if you need to move things around. I also think it's the framework with which you do things, right? So if you talk about point to point integrations, they're great, you know, um, but when you really start um, looking at how to maximize investment as well as to ensure that you're your integration framework is sort of what I call like change proof, right? It's scalable is you start thinking about things that are like, you start looking at your APIs and you start looking at API hubs where um, you introduce into your integration framework, an API hub that is focused on uh, customer creation, right? And you do it once and it spawns to 10 or 15 different systems, right? And so the efficiency get gained there isn't just, that you're doing something once and it's, you know, of service to multiple applications. But as the organization changes and, and that changes the way you're creating a customer, you're not changing 15 different integrations, right? You're changing it one place, um, which allows you to be like in a fast growing organization when, hey, we're going to pivot here and go after this, this market or this channel or this customer type that we didn't think about before. And we're going to do it in a way using a channel that we never used before, you've got the flexibility to do that. All right. And so you can reuse some of your, um, some of your integrations in other ways. You can expose them externally in the product even. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways that if you, if done correctly, um, it allows you to scale and also quickly take advantage of new sort of revenue streams or new channels um, that I think as in a startup fast growth environment, you know, they they may come and, and the expectation may be that turnaround needs to be much faster. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I was, um, very fortunate. Like last week, uh, we received this award from a, from an analyst company, Aragon research. Uh, there's a woman, Betsy Burton, who was long-term at, uh, at Gardner, uh, you know, has an integration background, but did, did uh, enterprise architecture uh, for a long time. Um, and so she came up with this new definition. You know, there's typically people when they think of Workado, they think of IPaaS, integration platform as a service. And she came, said like, look, this is not really what we need today. What we need is TPaaS. And T for her stands for transformation, transformation platform as a service. And the, and the difference or the, you know, the kind of compliment is that she uh, says the uh, business architecture needs to be part of that. It seems like this resonates uh, probably with you. I'm just curious how, how you think about this. I mean, you started talking a little bit about APIs and so on. When you think about business architecture, what would you think of? Like what, 
if you if 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 you, if you spoke to a fellow uh, a CIO and gave some advice of like uh, you know business architecture, what what, what well, what's key there? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, as I as as you you know you start talking about business architecture, for me, it's it's having a an awareness as well as oversight and visibility into some of what I would consider sort of your core end to end business processes that I think are unique to your organization. And what I mean by that is AP. AP is a business process. Some SaaS vendors, that might be one of their core business processes. For many of them, it isn't. Others may have other core end-to-end business processes. And when I start talking about the business architecture, you can have, you know, as many as 100 different end-to-end business processes that end up getting you know, identified, documented, and designed. And But you really want to try and focus on what are your core competencies as an organization, right? And so if you do that, you begin to, to outline what that business architecture looks like and what who are all the teams involved, what is the high-level business process. And then you start going down one layer, and it's kind of touches on enterprise architects. So it's interesting that, that Betsy Burton has a background in enterprise architecture because basically it's leveling up an enterprise architecture concept, which is what are your systems and in the enterprise and how are they architected together? Business architecture is really talking more about how do those, what are, how are those systems of service to the business end to end business process? And also what are more importantly, the core capabilities that differentiate us as an organization that we are going to focus on. Um, from that, you have your integration or your transformation architecture, right? And so if you look at a business architecture and you're talking about the core competency of, of a company and you notice that that architecture and you have you have critical capabilities and, and you start to look at end-to-end processes where you have gaps, where you have blind spots or and you develop a heat map and you say, these are where we're going to focus our efforts, right? Because these are the highest value areas for us to gain efficiencies, differentiation or, um, you know, revenue opportunity, speed, for lack of a better word, right? And so you start thinking about that and then you say, these are the ones that are broken or these are ones that are no longer serving us as an organization and where do we want to transform? Those are the areas that you transform, right? And so, um, you know, it just... And it also puts this this weird thing we do about enterprise architecture, which is has been kind of this secret, you know, this group of people over here. It translates it into a language and a framework and a concept that business people can understand. And so I think there's again, as I talked about, is like how how these two teams, the technology organization and the business operations organization, the functional operations, are really so intertwined now. Um, and, and, and I think it will continue to be that. I think we will see much more um, focus in this kind of like tech-driven business transformation than we ever have over the course of the next five years. So it's going to be, be exciting. So Betsy is, Betsy is spot on in her, on her, uh, on her assessment. No, this is, this is super exciting. Maybe last question here, um, AI. Generative AI. It's 2023. Um, so I think you uh, 
articulated very nicely how business architecture matters, how, you know, you're in this role kind of looking across the end-to-end -end processes. Um, yeah. You know, you have applications, you went into, the, you know, you have data, maybe a lot of unused data. You, you know, have people that might have to make exceptions. Now, now you're introducing these LLMs, digital brains. What... Um, What do you think uh, will change now? How's that? How's generative AI going to affect the role of the CIO? Do you have you thought about that? I'm just curious. Uh, absolutely, I think. I mean, I think that you know, if we think about, if I take the larger, I mean, AI and ML have been here for a while, right? It's you know, it's the the opportunity of what they can do to truly transform an organization has been here for a while. The accessibility much like the accessibility of software and much like the accessibility of a data center has, has changed over the last, since November of last year. And I think if I put that under the, the umbrella of automation, right. And I think about, we talked about, you know, the previous viewpoint was how do I automate a process um, between point A and point B, or, or, you know, I want to trigger a process that's happened here to do something in this, in this environment here. AI is going to, to accelerate that because I think AI enabled automation is going to be sort of that next level where I start thinking about, um, not just how do I move data around? How do I maybe do some transformation But how am I actually um, having an action here trigger uh, an, an AI activity and the result set is here and I'm bypassing maybe part of a human-enabled business process, right? And so I think we will see in many applications, and we already do, in, within many applications, the use of AI to accelerate and augment a human process, right? I don't necessarily know if we're at a point where we're going to just let it go free, but I think it will be there to be an assistant of service to a user. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity um, to, um, you know, utilize it in, 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 in helping with, you know, knowledge bases and searching and providing information. And that is, I think, you know, definitely a, a use case that there's many tools out there and many solutions out there. But where it really is going to get exciting is when we start triggering an activity, processing something that it's it's available to a person in an application um, and they don't have to take any action on doing anything, but they have to look at it and it assists them and it moves moves them forward in what, what it was their day job and it takes 25 to 50% of it out And it's they're they're reviewing something instead of going in and doing something, right? And so I think that will be sort of the next the next chapter in, in kind of that that space. I think most, you know, first party data is a concern with a lot of the AI. So I, I you know, I think we'll see much more usage of it as we begin to embed it um, and vendors begin to embed it. Uh, in applications that are already in use where we've got control over first-party data. Um, I think that'll probably be like this, the way that a lot of it gets introduced to kind of a, the business users. Um, but yeah, I think it'll, you know, we'll start to see it being a significant assistant and an augmentation to a person in applications as well as in integrations. Mm -hmm. 
fascinating conversation. You know yeah. what? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you realized, right? We haven't even talked about the book, the new automation mindset. Uh, but it's just that I feel like the whole conversation actually mapped the book so well. Because we talk, you know, the, the okay. new automation mindset <laughs> talks about the growth mindset. And I think you uh, highlighted that with kind of thinking about, you know, what's the core capabilities of a company? You know, how as a CIO can I go beyond just maintaining what we have to make things better and make them better in a way that really are meaningful to the business? I think that's the, that's the growth mindset. Uh, you know, the book talks about the process mindset. Uh, and I think we talked about process uh, at length. I guess both both of yeah. us have a, have a history in, <laughs> uh, in in processes. I really do think it it matters uh, because if you just if you're a CIO and you just just think about moving data from one place to another, I don't think you're gonna get the you're gonna capture what what matters. You have to think end to end process. And then last but not least, scale mindset. I mean, I think we had. Uh, multiple topics actually you know i think the the it and business together that that fusion team gardner calls it the fusion team i think that's about scale mindset scaling beyond uh the the uh, um, the little group central group in it uh, i think you know the I think when you highlighted enterprise architecture to business architecture, I think that's somewhat of a scaling function, right? Enterprise architecture was always like two people in a company somewhere. Nobody, nobody <laughs> paid they attention. They're doing? <laughs> nobody paid attention. Like they were saying something. Um, but I think with business architecture is a little different. And then I think also AI, I think is another uh, of these movements yeah. where like, you know, data science and AI and ML, that was, you know, you, you had to be super smart to get that. You gotta, yeah, you gotta have exactly. your applied applied math degree and so on. And nobody really understood. But I think with Gen AI, I think it's now getting uh, to a much broader uh, group of folks. So uh, I think it's gonna be uh, super exciting. What's uh, what's gonna happen next year? So it, so it, so it, okay, is. My, it never is boring. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right that's right hey it was uh an absolute pleasure to have you uh on the show here um i think this was uh super helpful hopefully it's an inspiration to other cios uh maybe the ones uh beyond the borders here of the uh of the silicon valley cio community <laughs> to get inspired and kind of think as this orchestrator in uh, in chief as well yeah. but uh Thank you so much yeah. for your time and uh, likewise. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. Thank you, okay. Marcus. Thanks Great again. talking with you. Take care. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's The New Automation Mindset, where AI automation and integration come together. If you want to learn more about the key topics we covered in the show, you can find them in the book, The New Automation Mindset by our Workado CEO, Vijetella. Also, leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's conversations. And don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. I'll see you next time.